Hello there, friends, and welcome to The New Blocks, a cryptocurrency and blockchain podcast dedicated to breaking down these latest technologies every week for you right here. It's complicated, sometimes dense, but I've got the perfect guy for the job to help us understand. I'm excited to introduce one of my long-term friends, Kevin. He's been a, a lead programmer at Stitch Fix for a while now, and he's been doing this blockchain stuff for a long time. I've dipped my toe in the pond. I've been around for a little while, but most mostly as an observer, a spectator, and a little bit on the programming side. He's done a lot more than that. And, uh, well, I'm excited to have him here to help us understand all this stuff that's taking over the news cycle, man. I'm seeing more stuff about blockchain and NFTs and Bitcoin every day, it feels like. My parents are asking me about it. It's a wild time to be alive, Kevin. Yeah, thank you for the introduction. I appreciate it. I, uh, I've been into crypto and blockchains now since... Uh, about late 2017, uh, falling down the rabbit hole pretty hard. Uh, it's, it consumes most of my weekends and nights mm -hmm. and sometimes my days. But uh, yeah, I, I, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, this this podcast is a great outlet for me to, to record some of these conversations that I have with friends and family and uh, you know, be able to point people to to different topics. Um, one of the things I wanted to do with the new blocks uh, is introduce a new concept every single episode and kind of take people one step farther down the rabbit hole uh, because this is a really dense topic. You, you start reading an article about crypto or blockchain and uh, suddenly there's you're, you're Googling 15 different definitions. So, mm -hmm. you know, one step at a time, baby steps. This isn't all going to make sense at the beginning, but... Yeah, give it. Give yourself a, a pat on the back for for getting started, and and as you're going, go easy on yourself. Uh, yeah. Now, Andrew, what got you into crypto uh, when you first did? Um, a number of things. One, just being excited about new technology. You hear a little bit of buzz, and you're naturally curious about how these things work. When I first started doing my deep dive, this idea of a currency, uh, Bitcoin at that time, that didn't have any state or country behind it, that just existed on its own kind of in cyberspace, that was really fascinating. Uh, and I ended up getting hooked up with uh, my current roommate and another fellow Dota commentator named Jenkins. Uh, Jenkins was a student doing computer science stuff at the time, and he was really interested in the Ethereum blockchain around a similar time that you were talking about, 20 2017, 2018, just as the ICOs were getting really popular. Uh, and we tried to put together a little game, believe it or not. We were programming on Solidity and doing some different things, uh, trying to emulate like a little prisoner's dilemma, rock, paper, scissors kind of a, a thing. It didn't really work, but we did a little beta test and had some fun. And ever since then, I've been been watching from afar, and now we're starting to pop off again, and it feels like time to really go uh, another another level deeper. Yeah, I, I I I love the the just exploration, trying out new things. You got a new tool set out here, uh, new building blocks, uh, and and there's a lot you can do with them. So I think getting started, it's it's worth going into a couple definitions. Um, we we'll try to keep this as light as possible uh, in in each episode, but um, there's a lot of terms that you're going to hear in crypto um, and, and in, in blockchain. What's that? Yeah, there's plenty of lingo. Um, and so a, a couple common terms that you'll hear. First, fiat. Fiat meaning uh, a government-issued currency, so like the U.S. dollar. Regular money for the most yep. part. Traditional yep. cash. That, that's fiat, yeah. USD. Yeah, and then 
when you talk about the larger financial systems, you'll hear a few different terms, uh, the, the, the uh, CFI or centralized finance. Uh, this, this kind of refers to the combination of different institutions, organizations, technologies uh, that all sort of exist in the existing financial system. Uh, everything from the legal process the, uh, for fraud and enforcement mechanisms, the payment rails that exist, cash, checks, wires, ACH transfers, uh, all the way through the Fed, uh, and you know the the way that we govern our, our uh, financial system, um, and the way that we issue new money, uh, new issuance, monetary issuance policies. All of this kind of gets wrapped up into C, what we call CFI. Okay, so that's legacy finance is the other term for this. Basically, yeah. uh, what we have now, it's a slightly derogatory term, implying the current infrastructure is legacy. I like what the, what you outdated. did there with the nomenclature. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, exactly. uh, it, it, It's fitting, but, you know, if I were a bank, maybe my feelings would be a little hurt. So uh, <laughs> so what, what's the future then? If this is the legacy, what's, what, what do we got? Yeah, so another term that you'll you'll hear in this space is called DeFi, standing for decentralized finance. Um, and again, sort of the larger ecosystem within DeFi, you have cryptocurrencies as the new money. Uh, you have these different protocols that exist on the uh, technological side, and these institutions that exist, uh, and, and these these organizations that exist on on more of the social side. Um, this primarily lives on top of uh, a blockchain called Ethereum. Uh, there's a few surrounding networks there. Uh, Bitcoin, there's some, some conversation in the crypto world about whether Bitcoin really falls into the decentralized financial system. Yes, it is uh, decentralized money, uh, but it doesn't really play as nicely. It's, on, it's, it's built on old infrastructure at this point. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's an old blockchain. I it's see. an old blockchain for whatever that means exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, you know that we'll we'll go into some more terminology later. But that's kind of a, a an intro at the beginning. Um, very cool. Uh, it's interesting to think about this future, perhaps where um, you know we could think about moving money without having to pay these big fees for wire transfers. That really amounts to somebody just checking a box and uh, approving something on a computer at this point. Um, all sorts of things like that that we're going to dive into. And uh, we're going to take you step by step. But today, I, I think one of the first big questions we want to ask is, what does cryptocurrency solve? Does blockchain solve any unique issue? Uh, I would imagine so, or else we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, what are we looking at technologically, bud? Yeah, it's, it's always a good question to ask at the beginning, because if you are building a new system or a new application or new anything, really, if you're not solving a problem, it's probably not going to uh, do well long term. So the, the problems <laughs> that exist in uh, CFI, in the centralized financial system, uh, are, you know, the things that are that have kind of moved into the background for a lot of people. It's not as it's not as obvious if it's sort of just the way things are. So it is worth kind of taking a moment and thinking through how things work currently uh, in the existing legacy system. So first and foremost, uh, at a zoomed out at a global scale, CFI is incredibly exclusive and fragmented. Uh, if you think about the the man-made borders that we have that separate different 
countries and currencies, uh, these different institutions and entirely entirely separate systems, these financial systems that just don't really talk well to each other. And it's expensive for them to talk to each other. It's expensive mm -hmm. to send money between countries and to do exchange in this way uh, because of how just fragmented and exclusive and, and uh, limiting that is at sort of a, a broad scale. I mean, it, it has implications where you uh, where you live has implications, right? Like where you were born matters in the right. in CFI, um, and you know it's a it's a very heavily permissioned system for that for that reason. It's any action that you take requires permissions from a banker, from a government, um, whether it's lending and borrowing or exchanging, just using opening a bank account. You need your birth certificate. You need you know your stamp right. of approval from from Mister Monopoly Man. Right. Um, what, what country you're born in has a direct impact on what kind of financial institution you have access to. And not every country yeah. has access to the same currency. Right. Like we're yeah. here in America. We we are born into a society where we just have USD for everything. And that works pretty damn well from a global economic perspective. And in our daily lives, it's a fantastic tool to do commerce. That's not the case if you're born in a, a country with a currency that's not worth nearly as much or fluctuates a lot like Venezuela, one of the big examples that we often go back to. Yeah, exactly. And when we move to this new Internet-based financial system, the Internet doesn't understand the concept of the borders that we've created, right? Uh, it, it, we've come up with them and, and we have our meat space laws that sort of exist in our social world, but the internet is just data that's moving around and it doesn't, doesn't care about, uh, which country you live in. So these new internet-based currencies are global first, first and foremost, as soon as you create a new cryptocurrency or a new money protocol, um, it is accessible to everyone in the world that has access to the internet, which at this point is a lot of people, right? It's mm -hmm. 4.6 billion people on earth have access to the internet. That's more than have access to clean drinking water, which is a, a wow. sad and depressing fact. Like we need, we need to solve some of those problems too. But uh, a new internet-based financial system has a massive total addressable market and, and can improve the lives of literally billions of people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that makes, go ahead. That makes perfect sense. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I have too much else to tack on there beyond that. I mean, that's that's a staggering amount of humans that uh, just with access to the internet could get access to so much more with some of these new financial tools. And uh, maybe just worth echoing how important it is to take a step back and recognize from a global perspective, there's still a lot of work to be done on the infrastructure side with some of these financial tools. And um, that's part of what makes this so exciting. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. So uh, up next, we, we've got this idea of a, a more level playing field. Right now in our existing institution, right, we've got the Fed. They get to make a lot of really big decisions about interest rates and money printing um, and how we handle uh, that aspect of our economy um, and financial institutions here in America. And it's much easier, obviously, since we're in America to speak from this perspective. But um, it's a little scary to think about that centralized control in the hands of a relatively small amount of people and the implications uh, that that can have. Uh, we've had situations like the 2008 housing crisis that were uh, pretty damn scary in terms of we didn't really get a vote 
uh, to bail out those banks. And uh, whether you agree with the decision or disagree with it, um, it speaks to the power structure at play. Uh, there wasn't any demo direct democracy in that kind of situation. Uh, and if we were talking about something like Bitcoin or Ethereum on these grand scales, um, there, there's a, a degree of democratization that can happen in the governance that can allow us, um, I, I think, a lot more power when disaster strikes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, even most recently, uh, when the the U.S. Uh, COVID relief small business grants went out, you know, my dad has a small business, and he was never going to be able to get a small business grant because he doesn't have the political connections to to make it on the list, right? Uh, the the people that are closest to the new money spigot most oftentimes have this sort of elevated privilege above everyone else. Um, they they have access to the new money, and there's not a lot of say that we can really uh, we have in that conversation. Right. So um, it, it's an exciting future to think about uh, a, a more level playing field, and uh, you know having a, a global vote in some ways from a, a currency perspective. Um, one of the other things that we struggle with with the, the current legacy financial system is a lack of transparency. The term black box often gets used where um, our institutions exist in these kind of siloed uh, private sort of behind this, this uh, quarterly statement type process that um, allows for some things to take place that we're just not privy to because we can't really see under the hood. And one of the great things about blockchain is that it's all pretty damn transparent. It's a public ledger. The whole point is that it's public and it's reinforced by this really big network that verifies the integrity of this public record. Um, and by virtue of that, you can see who's sending money to who and in what amounts and at what time. Um, and maybe you can't always know the reason, but uh, you can make some inferences with that metadata. And that's certainly valuable. And that transparency allows us to set a foundation um, that this decentralized financial future is built upon. Um, and enhanced transparency is uh, inherently better for consumers, definitely bad for these big private bank, private institutions that make a lot of money off of our transactions. But in terms of bringing more power to the consumers, this enhanced transparency is fundamentally really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this this lack of uh, transparency that exists in CFI, it requires that we trust, uh, we put a massive amount of trust in centralized governments and in institutions, and we can create laws that uh, that incentivize banks to work in the uh, toward what is best for society. But, you know, it, it usually takes 10 years before we're finding, uh, before a government investigates and finds fraud from a bank, right? Like we don't find out the day that it happened. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in, in, in DeFi, we get our quarterly statements every 10 seconds, every new block that exists, uh, and gets added to the blockchain. Uh, I mean, it's, it's real-time data that we're looking at here. We don't have to wait until a, a particular, um, um, you know, auditor happens to find something in some closed source system that's entirely behind closed doors, like total game changer. Mm -hmm. um, and the amount of trust that we're having to put in in these central governments and institutions, like maybe as as we've had in the United States, like, uh, 
not not too bad in terms of corruption, in terms of coercion that can exist. But again, we're kind of a minority on on the world stage here. Um, and well, corruption is, yeah. I was going to say, remember the Wells Fargo incident not that long ago. They found that the management was giving directives to employees to do uh, unethical things in terms of opening new accounts without people's permissions. Uh, and that comes along with all sorts of administrative fees and all this stuff that people didn't consent to, uh, miscellaneous charges on cards and all this kind of stuff. Uh, that trust has been violated. But sort of as you mentioned, it's really hard to monitor that because when it happens uh, in aggregate across a bunch of individuals that don't aren't closely monitoring it takes a while for people to catch on and realize and by the time we hear about it a whole lot of money's been stolen um and it's maybe it's not too late but then you know the time value of money right the consumer's the one hurt and has to foot the bill for that pain even if they do get uh made whole eventually in return and with stuff like blockchain um it'd probably be easier to see stuff like that and detect those anomalies uh just through the the nature of of third-party tools that exist on that kind of level of transparency you know monitoring is a whole different beast and we don't have to wait for a government to find that fraud, right? Like now, it, it, when things get uh, elevated to a world stage, I mean, there's incentive. If, if you are using a, a, the new financial system, uh, you and everyone else is sort of incentivized to make sure that this new financial system is working. And um, yeah, it, it's, again, just kind of changes the, the scale to which um, auditability is possible. I mean, even corruption aside, if you think about the security aspect of, of CFI, you think about, uh, you know, you enter your credit card uh, on a website or you just enter some piece of private information. Uh, you're trusting that company and every company that that company works with and every employee that works at every one of those companies to follow best security practices uh, to ensure that they're not accidentally leaving their laptop at the bar. Um, and you have this long-term, right? Like we create this this sort of porous and leaky foundation for the internet. Like all of the hacks that we see over time, the Equifax, the, the Facebooks, mm-hmm. uh, these happen because of the way that we've centralized the important data uh, on the internet. Uh, right. And again, with with blockchains comes this new ability to control your own data where you don't need data custodians in the same way. Um, and in future episodes, we'll, we'll sort of talk about the difference between like extreme transparency. And additionally, you can still have privacy on these new systems. Um, but yeah, just we've we've kind of grandfathered the, this old architecture into the Internet age. And it's so clear based on every single time that there's this huge hack that occurs. Uh, and, you know, in DeFi, all, all the code is open source. All of it is immutable, meaning that it can't be changed. Uh, all of the accounts uh, and activity, everything that's happening um, is can be accessible to anyone in the world uh, at any time. And so we don't really need data custodians in the same way that we used to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another aspect in terms of the CFI legacy financial structure we have it's built in such a way that innovation within that space is really challenging. I mean, we've heard of like Robin Hood, for example, doing zero commission trades. That was pretty radical. That was that was a real game changer. Um, and DeFi is is sort of uh, a 
levels beyond that uh, orders of magnitude. That's the term that I'm looking for there uh, compared to commission free trades. Um, once you start removing middlemen from this stack, things get really interesting. But uh, the way it's set up right now, it's really expensive because it's all owned privately and you have to pay a lot of money to recreate the, the wheel. Um, if you wanted to start your own bank, it's, it's really not that easy. It's really pretty difficult. Um, and some of the tools that we've got set up in this new financial system on the blockchain um, make it a lot easier. Um, and as we've gone back to this global nature of it um, gives these tools accessibility to, pe or accessibility to people that um, haven't really had access before. Um, and we're going to dive in a lot deeper, but one of the things that Ethereum allows for is this next layer uh, of applications built on top of it um, that allow programs and apps uh, and, and various like, businesses to interact with the blockchain in a way that's much more seamless and has an, an actual use um, and, and finds some utility out of this public database, this public computer that is Ethereum. Um, so this foundation, this this global computer, if you want to call it that, um, makes those innovations in a, a financial concept a little bit more possible um, and a little bit more sandboxy for people like us instead of rich folks like Bloomberg that can uh, pay to get ahead, you know? Yeah, exactly. And even uh, financial institutions and, and software and all of that aside, if you just think about the... Uh, the innovation of currency and money itself. Um, the over time, we've only we've we've so closely tied money to nation states, uh, you know, countries. Um, and so, in order to innovate the money, we have to either go through decades long democratic process, mm -hmm. uh, have a violent revolution, and just overthrow the government. Or, you know, purchase an island and you know, try to create a new country and ask your friends to move there. And <laughs> now you get to go create a new currency, right? Like, because they're so closely coupled, uh, innovation at the monetary level is incredibly ah. near, near impossible, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, Whereas in DeFi, you know, we're seeing all of these new currency experiments, uh, these new money uh, protocols that are popping up all the time uh, and, and doing some pretty crazy stuff. Um, but I mean, further, you know, CFI, you, you think about like, yeah, you've got your Venmos and your Robin hoods and, and this is kind of like a, a nice sleek interface to, to CFI. It doesn't feel like it's slow. Right. But under the hood, it really is. It, it's very slow. It's manual. <laughs> it's inefficient. Uh, you think about, uh, like ACH and wire transfers. That's really what's happening under the hood when you're using Venmo. And most of the time that's not. A huge problem, right? But then you have these situations like we saw with GME, where uh, you know it's your your clearinghouse hasn't caught up to the transaction, so you you have to delete yeah. the buy button uh, and, and let your payment network catch up. Like <laughs> uh, we we shouldn't have to deal with that, right? Uh, if you think about any other uh, piece of information moving around the internet. It, no other piece of information takes seven to 10 business days to move around the internet. Right. Like because of how inefficient the existing financial system is, um, it, it, it kind of bubbles up in weird ways. And, and you have these, you know, anytime you need to transfer money from one bank to another seven to 10 business days. Yeah. It's, it's kind of this odd, like 
the financial system had some things in place that made sense, and then some innovations were made from like an internet infrastructure perspective, and then the the fees just never changed to compensate for that. It's sort of an, yeah. an interesting conundrum that we're stuck with of this this legacy um, banking system. Like I hear people talk about ACH, like it's so cheap. It's like yeah, but it takes five days. I, it's a, that, that's a that's a long time to float the float and, money and, that's a, <laughs> and business days too. Like the internet doesn't right. have a concept of a business day. Like right. the internet is just on. It, it there is no there's none of this uh, nine happening. to five like <laughs> U.S. centric version of it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and, and I mean like even more so on on the sort of restricting side, uh, children, uh, kids born today and uh, in, in, in moving forward, they're going to be born into a world with uh, a financial system that they will be able to access on their 18th birthday. They'll head down uh, with Pappy to the, to the local branch, <laughs> uh, and, and he's going to be very excited to, to show his, his grandchild uh, the, the wonders of the, the legacy system. And, and this kid is going to look at uh, this concept of business days and this this idea of like not having access to your money on, on <laughs> during certain time periods and like fees and all this stuff and it it's it's not going to make sense because they will have had borderless internet money since they were born uh, and, and you need to think about it from that perspective like if if you just think yeah. about the financial system that you were grew up with and that you were born into then yeah sure like okay this this works for you but like the next generation yeah. they don't have to deal with that well it's super egregious for small businesses every time i look at my ledger and it says monthly maintenance fee i wonder what does that mean it doesn't cost me anything to store my bitcoin why does it cost me money to st- <laughs> you used to pay me interest to give you my money at the bank now you charge me to give it I'll, can I keep my money instead of giving it to the bank? And now you kind of can't. You used everyone had that, you know, parent or grandparent, I guess, or great grandparent that lived through the depression. They didn't trust banks. They used to keep money in us old cigar cans in their basement, and they pass away. And you find you dig it up in their basement. And you find all this cash that they were hiding. Uh, you, it's hard to do that in the modern day because everything's digital. You kind of have to put it in a bank account to store it somewhere so that you can access it through debit cards and credit cards and just the convenience of living a modern life. We're, we're, we're sort of hooked on it in some ways, for better or for worse. We have a lot more options now, but in some ways, less options, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, just this point of, of expenses, yeah, you, you charge uh, a, a fee if, if your bank account has gone too low, or a, a fee for overdrafts, you know, lateness. A lot of times, it's it's punishing those that are less fortunate. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the the people that have to go to the the payday loan that are getting hit the hardest with fees. And it's it's the sort of infrastructure that's built as as kind of a parasite toward uh, toward the 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 least fortunate. And it's it's sad. And uh, I'm glad this is what makes me interested in, in finding these new alternatives because yeah i mean yeah. it's yeah 
Well, yeah, it, I, again, I think you got to take a moment to step back and empathize and remember that your lived experience isn't the same as everyone else or even the average experience in America, perhaps. A, a staggering amount of Americans don't have a large amount of savings in their bank account, right? They might only have a couple hundred dollars that they can float here or there. Truly living paycheck to paycheck means that if you get paid on a Monday because that happens to roll over as the last day that month, but your rent is due on that Friday, and you don't have the money to cover it, you're going to get hit with some sort of overdraft fee or some sort of payment issue or some interest fee on your credit card because you can't make the minimum payment or you can only make the minimum payment. That's where a huge amount of the profitability of the banks and the credit cards comes from. It's not in wire transfer fees or percentages here or there. Certainly, they make some money off of that, but a huge amount of it is just punishing people that can't afford to float the difference in all of these things that don't line up in our current system that they have really no leverage over and no control over, no, no ability to haggle. Um, you know, when was the last time you heard of somebody uh, haggling the, the day that their paycheck comes Charles in? Schwab. Right? That, that, that doesn't really happen. So yeah. and, anyway. Yeah. And I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to keep bringing this back and comparing it to internet requests. When I go to a web page, I'm not charged anything. Every other internet request is free for the end user. And yet the previous financial system, because of how inefficient it is and because of you know how just how dug in this system is, um, it is capable of, of imposing these massive fees in terms of percentage of total global commerce, like all credit card fees combined. That's that's a huge like parasitic middleman that exists now moving forward. Yeah. You can, if you are willing to put in time and learn, like we, this is still early days in crypto and fees are high at sort of the base layer. But if you want to learn a little bit more about layer two and some of these uh, more uh, breaking uh, uh, new uh, bandwidth improvements, you can start to interact with DeFi in a way that uh, fees approach zero so quickly. It's just mm -hmm. like the internet, right? Beginning days of the internet, it was very slow and expensive to have your AOL. Uh, and over time, it, you know, bandwidth improved and and suddenly uh, it's just a completely yeah. different system. Yeah, we're, we're moving into this future that is free of middlemen, third parties, gatekeepers, uh, single points of failure, censorship. Uh, there's no one person or party that can pull the plug or be coerced or be bribed or somehow bought off. Um, there's no one person that can just walk away with your money. Now, of course, uh, there are ways that somebody could come into your safe and steal your cold wallet or you know find access to your 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 keys or something. I mean it. Everything is hackable, right? Generally through human uh, social engineering and, and human failures. But um, it's not hackable in the sense of it's owned by one source. There isn't a central yeah. vault that somebody can break open and take all the gold out of. That's, that's what decentralized means. It's spread over yeah. all these sources. So there isn't one person to attack. You could take out the biggest player and there's still all these other players that are keeping the network alive. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah, you have to hack every single individual node. You can't just hack the entire network, right? And yeah. uh, I mean, similarly, uh, again, like the, the safe example, a lot of this is still early days and like custody ownership of crypto is, is very physical, but uh, there are solutions that sort of extract extrapolate that further and make it a bit more like you're interacting with the, uh, mm -hmm. the more like the, the legacy financial system. Um, but like final point here I want to hit on um, is just 
another point that sort of fades into the background uh, that you don't really think too much about in, in the existing financial system, but fiat money requires massive military investments to protect. And so what do I mean by that? Um, the dollar is, is backed by the U.S. economy um, and the sort of economic engine that we've created. All of uh, the productivity of you and me and, and everyone here that is working to improve the United States, we are sort of the economy. And uh, we have a military that protects us as humans, but it also its job is to protect that economic engine uh, and that the dollar is sort of uh, pegged to the trust that the world has on that economic engine. So you mm. see us dumping this money into this military budget. It's Yes, it's to protect uh, the people, but it's additionally to protect uh, the, the value of the dollar. And, you know, when, when you don't have a, a nation state uh, for your cryptocurrency, that there's not a physical location to attack to, to, uh, to attack an entire cryptocurrency network. Um, so instead of securing the value of crypto with a military, crypto economic systems offer newer, more efficient mechanisms to secure their monetary value. Uh, and, you know, it, you look at Bitcoin right now, it, it, it uh, eats a lot of electricity, but you look over at Ethereum and it's moving to proof of stake and it's moving to the system where the cost of securing the network drops down to just running like a little Raspberry Pi hardware uh, device that you can go down at the store and get. And again, it, there, there's not, it's it's like apples and orangutans comparing just the the difference of cost that it will take to protect uh, a crypto economic system versus a traditional economic system. I see. Um, and one of the other big benefits from like a global perspective of this new financial system we're talking about is shifting the incentives a little bit from like a global economic perspective. Um, I mean, economics in general, it just means the management of scarce resources, right? And we look at that generally from a country to country breakdown. And when you put it on that scale, the incentive is really to combat with one another, compare ourselves and try to get ahead on that scale as a nation. Um, and a tool like this that really starts to bridge that gap for the first time doesn't really care about where you're born or where you're plugged into the net, just that you're plugged into the net. Every netizen has the same kind of starting point. That's a really powerful thing that will start to shift the scales at least a little bit to a little bit more uh, of kind of collaborative thinking, I think. And it's it is a little yeah. bit interesting to think about where crypto starts to intersect with, you know, I'm having some flashbacks to the late 90s, early 2000s, my little anarcho-punk rock days, Kevin. It's very, like, <laughs> anti-authoritarian. Um, you know, I can think of some anti-flag lyrics that were, like, weirdly <laughs> sort of predictive of this crypto underground communication. That song might have been about cryptocurrency, bro. I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. You connect the dots. Like, um, it's Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, dude. I, th things get real hinky when you look into it uh no do your own research no just kidding um <laughs> but uh yeah but yeah i, I think we're, shifting we're kinda, that global scale is cool yeah and like in, with all the problems that exist today um we really we need better uh tools to incentivize better global coordination we have these massive issues like global warming that are affecting all of us and we just have this tragedy of the commons that's playing out at a world scale 
Um, and we need better tooling that can allow us to think as a, as a species, think and mm -hmm. interact with each other as mm -hmm. just humans uh, and, and be able to build this new financial system that doesn't care about where you came from, uh, doesn't care about what you look like or what documentation you have uh, or any of this. Uh, we are all at a new level playing field um, and it's just like the Internet. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I love talking about this stuff. I mean, we're going to go into a ton more detail over the course of this podcast. Um, uh, but like my parting thought is like uh, crypto will do to money what the Internet did to information. Uh, it, it is going to take it from these like small siloed locations and, and just connect all of it. Uh, and, and that's really what we're seeing in, in DeFi and in crypto. That is um, that's really cool. And, and you did mention it a couple times, but I, I constantly, as we talk about this stuff, have flashbacks to the dot com boom era. And I was well, we were both a, a little bit young for that to really appreciate it at the time. But having gone back and read about it and watched some of the footage and sort of understood how uh, some of the market influences were working, then there are definitely some parallels. Um, and, you know, innovation is messy in this technology. It, it, it ebbs and it flows. It doesn't grow linearly. And uh, when we have these breakthroughs in technology, it leads to a lot of good, a little bit of bad, and a lot of stuff in between. And it takes a little time for the dust to settle to see um, what the truly innovative ideas were and, and what the, the kind of stinker copycats were. Yeah. yeah. And if you've been avoiding crypto because you've seen it and heard of it as this sort of like speculative first um, investment where, you know, you're just hoping that the price goes up. Um, totally understandable for a lot of crypto's uh, life that and, and existence that sort of has been the case. Um, but I, I would encourage you to look a bit closer now, do some research into DeFi uh, and see what you can do at this point, because we're at a point now where we do have this alternative financial system that exists. You can put your US dollars in a DeFi bank and you can earn, you know, 10 right now for the last year, 10 to 20 percent interest. Obviously, these rates will go down over time like this is a lot of this is fueled on um on the speculation that exists um, and, and just like people putting money over into this new system. But like this, this alternative financial system removes the, these extractive third parties and allows you to just lend, borrow and exchange in a peer to peer fashion. And when you remove these third party banks that are taking the majority of those interest rates from you, you are left with a bigger piece of the pie. So, um, but even still like, um, it, we're talking about just using entirely uh, exposure to U.S. dollar stable coins, these, these U.S. dollar cryptocurrencies that you can have in your crypto bank earning interest. Um, there's, you know, just like any other bank, you can take a loan out uh, against the, the money that you have and, and against some underlying collateral that you have. Um, and you can use the interest from DeFi to pay off that loan. Um, you can connect a debit card to your stable coins um, and you can use it as you would in sort of the real world. Um, and so if, again, if, if you've thought of this so far as just uh, this like purely speculative investment, yeah. go look into this a bit more and, and learn what you can do with just stable coins alone, with just US dollar and, and removing exposure to these highly risky and highly volatile assets. There's yeah. a lot here. 
no, that and that debit card aspect really caught my attention. I, I heard about that in another podcast I was listening to where somebody said that they're they're no longer using credit cards or debit cards to buy stuff. It all runs through their DeFi and their interface is through uh, kind of the, these burner type debit cards that you can use that uh, are connected to your DeFi accounts, but they're not connected to you know your traditional bank account. The infrastructure is in the preliminary stage already where you can interface with the world through decentralized finance. That's awesome. It's not theoretical anymore. There, there's actually some use cases here, um, and, and there are some some really strong arguments um, to start learning this stuff because y- you don't want to be behind the curve, right? You don't even have to put any money in. Just a little bit of that valuable time, some of that brain resource, and start understanding the concepts here to evaluate whether or not it's worth putting some money into it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, we're going to get into this but, uh, in future episodes, but... Um, I, I think in addition to just sort of the monetary side of, of crypto, um, understand that blockchains are this introduction of this new concept called a trust machine. And, and the idea behind the trust machine is that um, it can take decentralization um, and convert into trust um, th- this input of like a, a network that is spread out around the world. Um, and because it, there are so many individual actors running that network. Um, you can trust the information that's coming out of it. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about uh, blockchains. Uh, and again, just this idea of of being able to have this like new layer of trust for information that exists on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, And like you said, the the technical aspect of how this works is really interesting. There will be standalone episodes for each, um, you know, conceptual module, let's say, broken down in easy to understand chunks so that you can take it uh, step by step. But um, yeah, cryptocurrency is is this really good use case for this blockchain technology. And um, man, I'm I'm excited to be living it in uh, in real time here with a front row seat, bud. Yeah. And quick disclaimers. I mean, over the course of this podcast, um, my job here is uh, I really like to teach people uh, about this this technology. Um, I don't take any of this as investment advice. None of this is financial advice. Um, I really I don't uh, I don't think that the way to go about this is to think of this as as sort of another investment opportunity. Think of this as uh, learning about the the future of the internet and th- learning about the future of money, because when you change those things uh, at a very low and fundamental level, you change everything that sits on top of that, which is kind of all of society, right? Like there's there's a lot that, that's up in the air when you when you innovate at just such a low low level. So mm-hmm. again, th- th- learn and invest your time, not your money. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself, and. Um, I, I think all of us, the more you learn, eventually you get to a point where you make a decision one way or another, where either you decide it is for you and you want to get aboard or you decide, you know what, it doesn't feel right. I'm going to wait and see how things go. And whichever you decide, it's better to have the information and be able to understand it. Um, and, and it's important to be able to dispel the misinformation out there. Maybe one last disclaimer. disclaimer that's the real goal of this podcast. Help cut through a little bit because there's so much information 
information out there in the cloud. Unfortunately, there are some bad actors out there looking to sell some snake oil uh, that are maybe a little disingenuous with their intent. And uh, not that we're here to name names, but uh, we're here to help give you the tools so that you can evaluate the landscape for yourself and try to sniff some of those people out. Um, but Kevin, I think that wraps us up for the first episode. So um, if you made it this far, thank you so much. Make sure you find us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, most of the other places you'd expect to find a podcast. We appreciate any of your feedback, uh, your views, and your attention mean the world. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next one. See ya. <laughs>